live in Summerlin. It's Cofield and Company from the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. Five o'clock hours here, Rampart Race and Sportsbook. Dwayne Colucci, those are some good specials. A lot of good specials, a lot of good giveaways as well. So get on down here any day of the week, but especially on uh, football Thursdays and Sundays and Mondays. We're going to talk uh, latest on the Raiders after a big win. It's been a really weird week, really uneven week. Monday night, everyone's jubilant. You wake up Tuesday morning, you're like, what just happened? A bunch of guys are down for the year with injuries. Who's going to step into those voids? We'll find out from Paul in about 25 minutes. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. Boy, what a bummer yesterday. And it was a, a day where I wasn't really on top of the news. I was kind of bouncing around all morning long. I walk into the studio, and Ari's like, yeah, Norm MacDonald passed away. I'm like, what? I'm like, how old was he? 61, apparently had been sick for like 10 years, fighting cancer. Um, didn't tell anybody. And I know you love that guy. Oh. I know uh, some of our old hosts, like Mitch Moss. I think he was on their show a couple of times. Uh, Mitch is now at another place. I know Mitch doesn't like to mention us that he used to work here. Um, but I know you guys loved him. I, I, he was awesome. And uh, like most recent view I got to see him was on that. He did that sort of interview show. Yeah. What was it? Norm MacDonald has a show. And it was like it just showcased everything that he was brilliant at. Like it's so freaking dry but cutting. God, the guy was awesome. This sucks. I I mean, it was, a, it was an ugly look last night with me just – Watching YouTube videos the entire night. Did you go until, back? Until like 7 in the morning. How many times did you watch the uh, ESPYs and the oh. monologue and how uncomfortable it's everyone great. It's the greatest. It's one of the greatest award show monologues ever. And there's so many great moments that he had from television. I went and watched Dirty Work, which, by the way, is an unbelievable movie. Uh, if you would have told me of the kind of main characters in that, of Norm MacDonald, Chris Farley, and Artie Lang, if Artie Lang would have been the one that lived the longest, I would have lost a lot of money on that bet. Uh, oh it, boy. it was a great movie. Yeah, uh, I loved it. Got to watch that again, and then yeah, it was just and it was so many talk show appearances. Because yeah, he was a great, he was great at a, as a host and as a roaster. I mean, plus you know when he sat down with someone like I was watching, um, he was doing something with Conan, like a lot like, with Conan. like the play back and forth between the two of them. Like people, you could see. You know comics are good when they're respected to the highest level by others. Like yeah. When they sit down and, and there's just a, it's just a way it works. There's an aura. And, and you can tell like how, when something's brilliant. Because, I mean, obviously the SB monologue, the, the Saget roast, he's always good at roast. The Saget roast is one of the greatest things ever because for people that don't know, he came out and he just did like the most dad jokes of all time at a roast where you're supposed to be like over the top and cursing. And people were so confused. Well, what he was doing is making fun of the jokes that Saget did on America's Home Videos, which is like such a next-level roast of somebody that it, it's so brilliant. But there was a couple moments. First, uh, the, the Courtney Thorne-Smith Conan interview is one of the greatest interviews ever done on television because Norm MacDonald sat in in that guest chair. Every single question that Conan had and every answer that Courtney Thorne-Smith had, he would make a smart Alec comment about. And then, for those that don't know the payoff, I, mean, I probably shouldn't say you can go watch it, but toward the end, she was talking about doing a movie with Carrot Top, and he's just dying laughing about Carrot Top. It was great material. 
But she finally says, oh, the name of the movie is Chairman of the Board. Go see it, whatever, Friday. And Conan's like, ha I can't do anything with that, can you? And then he goes, is Board B-O-R-E-D? Like, just off the top of his head, to have, like, that that quick of a wit is brilliant. But then the other one, a lot of people are familiar with the moth joke. Um, and it was, a, it was a joke that he told on Conan that was, like, six and a half minutes long. The joke is actually 20 seconds long. And what happened, and the story is just kind of told, um, and I just finally saw it yesterday, but what happened is Conan said, hey, can you stick around for another segment going to a break? And Norman Don's like, yeah, I guess so. And he's like, I kind of already had all the material I was going to do done. And Conan's like, we'll come back. So off the top of his head, Norm McDonald goes, all right, I'm going to do this. He goes, how long's the segment? And Conan told him. And he, created, he turned the 20-second moth joke into a six-minute joke, which is incredibly insane when you watch it back but he knew exactly how long to make it exactly how how to pay it off it was freaking brilliant and that guy is just so good at all of that stuff it was it's it's such a loss i, I i'm such a huge fan it, it sucks i was going with a lot of friends yesterday going back and forth really that one crushed me number four aaron Rodgers looks like it's about all over that was Sorry. dreadful he just doesn't love the sport anymore he's too consumed with uh yoko woodley and all the nonsense is, uh, you know, is battling with Brian Gutekunst. Jermichael Finley spoke on the topic. Fire this. I'm not a hater. I'm just, I'm looking out, actually. I just want the guys to do their best and play Cocker football. And uh, once again, brother-in-law, it doesn't do it. And I think Love is going to be ready for the job here pretty soon. So, Ooh. Wow. Former Packer tight end saying that's enough. Time to move into the... Love era, but he wasn't done there. Bro, this is the National Football League. Uh, each offseason, you got to work like it's the last season. And I just don't see a work ethic in Aaron Rodgers that I have in previous years. And uh, actually, you can see it right through his, his helmet. The eye tells everything of the personality. And uh, I just don't see it. I just think it's cliche and talk that guys get up there and say, oh, I want to win a championship. I mean, it sounds good, but I want to see what you do on the field. You know, the funny thing is I, I mentioned uh, the other day that I, I, I was kind of shocked that Rodgers was still doing the offseason stuff, even right before the game, doing that conversation with Aaron Andrews. He made it clear. He's like, I have nothing left to prove. It's like, okay, you don't hear that often. It's, I mean, maybe Michael Finley's on to something here. Well, Aaron Rodgers, his next stop, he'll be inspired. But I, maybe I, he's just going to go through the motions this year with the Packers. Relax. We'll see. I might have been on on board if he hadn't said the last few years. Okay. Like Aaron Rodgers won the MVP last year and took his team to the NFC Championship yeah. game. Like they, they almost made the Super Bowl. By the way, you know I'm going tongue-in-cheek. I don't believe any of this that Jermichael Finley's – I got to see Aaron Rodgers truly show he's not motivated I, I, before listen, I believe it. He's going to be He's going to be fine if he doesn't get back to that same level. I think it's totally fair to ask if this offseason and everything that went on was a factor. Um, I, I know the – you know, the kind of narrative out there of, oh, he's throwing the season to just get those guys fired. That's interesting. I, I don't think it's true. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but let's see how it goes. If it's a full year and he's not the player that he was before, and then next year he's great again, I think it's probably fair to say he kind of sabotaged this offseason and wasn't able to, you know, j- just get it back, just flip the switch when the season started. But I, I want to find out. Again, I mean – we're going to go around the league and be like, all right, well, he's done. He's, he's terrible now. He can't play anymore. Uh, you know, there's, there's other players that had terrible starts to the season. Are they done? Like, it's over? 
Bills are moving on from Josh Allen, too. Sucks now. Got the contract. I, I saw that. I saw people. He got the contract. He sucks now. Settle down. Number three. Raiders, Steelers, Las Vegas going on the road to Pittsburgh. Did you guys get a chance to talk to Mike Tomlin this week? Who? No. no I don't know what do you mean? You guys got to talk to the opposing coach on a conference call every week. It's been uh, NFL tradition forever. Helps you with your jobs. And, uh, you know, those of us in the, the towns, we want to know what the other coach has to say. What's going yeah. on here? Couldn't tell you. I haven't heard from him. I don't know. I haven't got an email to say here's when the conference Is this a Tomlin deal or what's happening? So it came to light because of the Denver reporters with Urban Meyer. What happened? Denver reporters certainly want to talk to Urban Meyer. They wanted to talk to him because obviously they want to ask him if he's taking the USC job. That's what they want to do. And, of course, you want to get the thoughts on, hey, it's your first first go-round in the league and – you know, you're getting ready for your first home game and all, all those things. Like you want to ask them the questions. You want to get your stories. You want to get quotes for your stories. Uh, so they said, hey, when what time is our conference call? For those that don't know, as you referenced, it's been on running thing. This is my, what, third year covering the Raiders. Every week you expect, like, Wednesday you get an email. It says, hey, 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or somewhere around there. Opposing coach is available on a conference call. And we all go and jump on the conference call together and talk to the opposing coach. It went away. And I didn't even really think about it. Like, because everything was so caught up last week with getting ready for the first game and all the other extra stuff we had to do last week. Didn't really cross my mind. But when the Broncos started saying, hey, Urban Meyer has skipped out on his interview, what's going on? It kind of dawned on me, like, oh, yeah, we haven't gotten any emails this week. And I realized, oh, we haven't. And I was told the NFL is just kind of quietly phasing that out. They're not going to do that anymore. Uh, the Broncos. But it doesn't, have any, it doesn't have anything directly to do with the. The herb stuff. No, because it, it was already we, set in stone. We didn't have Harbaugh. We didn't have Harbaugh last week. Like oh, I said, wow. it just it just kind of dawned on me. Like, oh yeah, we di- we usually do that, and it came to light. You know, nobody really said anything last week, and then it came to light because the Broncos were so adamant. The Broncos beat writers so adamant calling out Urban Meyer, and at one point, the Jaguars PR director tweeted back at all the Denver reporters and said, "Hey, stop blaming Urban Meyer. It's my decision." which I was like, I, I don't think it is your decision. I think it's the league's decision. They said other teams around the league are phasing it out. I told Coach, one less thing you have to worry about. We're not doing them this year. But it, it seems like nobody's doing them this year. Number two. So all that jubilation on Monday night into Tuesday morning, Raiders' massive victory, pull off the mild upset of the Ravens, drama-filled at the end. And then we find out these last couple of days, they, that game really took a freaking toll. Yeah. I mean, Gerald McCoy is one thing, and it's it's a horrendous story because, you know, he's making a comeback. Denzel Good is a really tough loss on a line that was already reconfigured. You figure, hey, he's going to be kind of reliable. He bounced around last year. Poor guy goes down with a torn ACL. And I know uh, I saw a tweet yesterday. I saw you retweeted that, uh, you know, he was happy that everyone reached out to him, but I'm sure he's freaking devastated because yeah. that's a guy who worked himself into this position, probably had bigger paydays coming if he plays well, and now everything's up in the air. Yeah, and, and the bigger, the biggest thing you really look at is depth there too, right? Where, yeah, sure, Denzel Good is out, but also Richie Cognito hasn't been on the field in a month. He didn't practice again today. Both of your guards. Uh, so that's both your guards. Now, Illuminor came in and played well. Jermaine Illuminor, he, he played fine. Um, the right tackle in the center, who are new, not so much. Had pretty miserable games on Monday. Uh, so now you're looking at, you know, four-fifths of the line. While Colton Miller played phenomenally well and continues his progression and is it you know, becoming one of the elite left tackles in the league, the rest of the line is in complete shambles. Now, you invested a first-round pick. You hope Alex Leatherwood gets better. It's Andre James, like, first, you know, first start as the guy, as the starter that you're really counting on, and, and he was bad. 
So now it, with with two potential backups at guard, no death behind them, a center that you know just played in his first start as the starter, Alex Leatherwood on the right side who's still developing. There's a lot of concerns there. Number one. Well, the good news is it's outstanding performers like Colton Miller, John Abrams seemed to enjoy his position switch. He graded well. Max Crosby, absolute beast. AFC Defensive Player of the Week. But, uh, you know, he took care of business first, though, pointing out that, uh, boy, these injuries to his teammates kind of suck. Yeah, you know, that's the nature of this business. Uh, guys are going going down. There's new guys in the building every day. It's just it's a crazy business, uh, to say the least. But, you know, it's an X-man-up mentality. Um, obviously, losing Gerald um, is huge. And we've, we've talked a ton since... Uh, since the game, and it you know it broke my heart. Uh, that dude has done so much work to get back, and to see him go out like that is is horrible and unfortunate. But you know he's still going to be a part of this group uh, no matter what. So um, it sucks, but yeah, obviously Denzel as well. Like he dude's been working his tail off. So you know you gotta you obviously gotta you know feel for them, but at the same time you know the the show the show keeps going. So uh, we just got to keep getting prepared. Everybody's got to stay ready and take care of themselves. Big effort in the offseason was to build up the depth on that offensive line. So Crosby talked about, you know, he just said next man up, but uh, they got some depth. Uh, yeah, you know, it's huge. You know, we have a lot of guys, you know, I was talking about after the game. Like, it was awesome to see a bunch of different guys make key plays in that game. Like, K.J. Wright coming in, getting the fourth down stop. Zay Jones catching the game-winning touchdown. There's a bunch of guys that – you know, don't get the respect they necessarily deserve and, and seeing them make big-time plays on Monday night, like, that's that's encouraging. So, you know, the depth, uh, I think we have we have great depth. You know, obviously it sucks Gerald going down, but um, it's the next next man up. You know, we just signed Square. The dude fits right in. You know, he's, he's we just met him today, and the dude, is, he fits right in the group. So um, it's the next man up mentality, like I said. But, you know, our group, we work so damn hard during the week from, you know, from D-line, it starts with us all the way up to the DBs. And, we're pushing ourselves, so I feel like we could have played a whole another game after that game. You know, I felt good. Carl was talking about it. He's like, man, I feel so good. Like, our group has been working so hard, so we're not surprised that we weren't tired, you know what I mean? In OT, we, we felt like it was the first quarter again. So, you know, we just got to keep improving and keep getting in better and better shape every day. Who is Square? Damien Square. Uh, a guy who went to Seahawks a little bit, uh, been around. Uh, the league a little bit, uh, not a whole lot, not a whole lot of game experience, but uh, certainly a depth player uh, that comes in and will help out on that side of the ball. You know, they, they've been losing guys. We mentioned not only guys that you talked about. Um, he was, you know, this is a team that had 17 guys today on the practice report, on the injury report for practice. Now, they didn't actually practice. It was a walkthrough and, uh, you know, Damian Square is another guy with, that has familiarity with the system. Of course, he was with the Chargers uh, under uh, Gus Bradley. Um, he's both in San Diego and L.A. He's been there a while. Uh, he was with the Eagles at the start of his career. Uh, been around since like 2013. So uh, plenty of experience in the NFL on rosters. Not a whole lot of actual game experience. He's only played about 90 games uh, over those eight years. So um, he's played. He's got experience. He knows the system. So he could probably step right in. And Max Crosby said he fits right in in the locker room. So that's a good sign. On the way back, we'll talk about some injuries, some major injuries to other organizations. Is there a story behind the story with Ryan Fitzpatrick being down, what, six, eight weeks? 
It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. So I, I went on a show. I was, he, it was uh, fortunate enough. He invited me on um, you know, his late night show. I, I talked about me missing my testicle. Bro, he went on, he went on a show recently, and he, and he made a joke. He said, so, he, said, he, he said, me and Donald Trump are the worst people on earth. You f- Jimmy Kimmel hanging at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. It's Gofield and Company. Uh, anything to get the Ryan Bros on, huh? <laughs> All right. I think I've had enough of them. Come the Ryan Bros? I don't know. What are they? Paul? Paul Bros, Ryan Bros, whatever they're called. <laughs> I was thinking Logan Ryan, the uh, defensive back. Logan Paul, Rex Ryan, Rex Ryan, Rob Ryan, whatever. Nightmare. Completely nightmare. You love the Pauls. Uh, leading into the Marcus Arroyo radio show tonight, uh, shortly after we go off here at Rampart, I'll be down at the uh, Parkway Tavern. Happy hour's going on right now. You can get the uh, $4 uh, buffalo cauliflower, chips and queso, 5 bucks on the fried pickles, $6 chicken fingers, domestics, drafts are 3 bucks. house wine, well cocktails, the same. And we'll be down at the location right near the M with the Marcus Arroyo radio show that starts up on ESPN Las Vegas at 630. Um, these aren't reports. This is what? Sports radio caller, rumor mill stuff now. Someone claiming that Ryan Fitzpatrick really wasn't injured in the game, that he maybe he was dinged up going into the game. That's now got him out for a good portion of the season. Yeah. Somebody called, said they witnessed it. Right. They saw it happen. That he suffered a hip injury at a water park going down the fast slide because he made fun of the slow slide and didn't want to go on it because it was too wimpy. So we went on the fast slide and then started limping. Stop. And that's where the injury started. Stop. That sounds so made up. I believe it. No, you don't. I'm in. Totally in. Why would somebody just call and say that? It's a pretty wacky story. I hope they're not running with it, are they? It's obviously someone's running with it enough that we found out about it. Well, I know they're like they're investigating it. So somebody said, well, where is this alleged water park? And they named, they said the name of the city, and then everybody was like, "There's not a water park there." And then they went and looked, and a brand new one opened up like three weeks ago. Uh oh! So they're like, dun, "Okay, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> okay, maybe." There's a lot here, a lot to uncover. A the lot water of, parks are a very dangerous place. A lot of investigative. Well, it could be Action Park, the most dangerous place ever. That's where you grew up. You grew up. It's not really park. where I grew up, but close. It's like two hours away though, so it, we never went up you there. You never but, went? No, no. People. I saw the documentary, and it was pretty wild. You had, did you hear rumors of it when you were a kid? Well, I didn't hear rumors about it being hellish, but we got bombarded by the commercials all the time. I remember when, it came, when I saw the documentary, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember those commercials. But you never, like, that seems like the kind of place you would try to talk your parents into going. Yeah. I'm, I wasn't Cofield a, boys. I wasn't that type of kid. My older brother, younger brother, like, they would have been into that. I was not, I was not very mis, uh, well, you weren't allowed mischievous. Well, you weren't allowed to have sugar. That, and I wasn't very mischievous or, like, Adventurous guy, but if you're not allowed, I, to, I wasn't some like um, outlaw. But I'm also putting together: if you're not allowed to have sugar, you probably would have never been able to go to a, a, a crazy. Can you imagine park? Yeah, but your brother, if your brothers were into it, why wouldn't they get? The uh, my older brother for sure would have been into that. He never went. No, nah, I don't think so. I'll hmm. have to ask him. Sad. Like I said, it was a, it was a good ride away. Uh, let me get you an update. You know, we're going to talk to Marcus Arroyo later, and maybe we'll get something more official on uh, Doug Brumfield. Um, I was out there this morning, and he was walking around. He was in uniform. 
Uh, he got really beat up at that Arizona State game. He stayed behind for observation in Phoenix after the game. And today, all I saw were some, you know, we can watch about 15 minutes, 20 minutes of the practice, and then, you know, we leave, and then they start really practicing. So what we're watching are mostly drills. And uh, Brumfield didn't throw, and it was a mix of Justin Rogers, true freshman Cameron Friel, and Tate Martell. Whoa! And, and, whoa. And, Mar- and I would say Martell, we're really big on the noises today. I would say Martell looked as good as I've seen him. I've been at every practice, but you could tell the difference between when he was his tape was thumbed up. He was really struggling to throw the ball. So they've been ramping him up. Um, a couple weeks ago, he was a scout quarterback. He was supposed to be Eric Barrier in practice, so he threw a lot that week. And yeah, he was out there. I mean, I can't – I still think Rodgers today practiced as the number one. And then uh, – but I think there's a real possibility that, as you suggested like an hour ago, is it worth it if you've got like a 60% Doug Broomfield to put him out there in a game that, listen, you'd like to win, but it's an uphill challenge against Iowa State. Uh, they've got a mix of three other guys. Give him a chance. Can we get the the breaking news sounder? Was Tate Martell, break? Tate Martell, close, close. Yeah, I don't know if he's close, but he's definitely throwing more than than he has in the past. Let's go with it. So, Steve Cofield reports. I mean, he he should be if he's ready to go and he's medically cleared. He should be an option. Sure. If if Rogers if Rogers doesn't kind of snap out of the funk and a lot of it's kind of a speed thing. Um, talking a lot, and this goes back to last year, talking a lot to Caleb Herring about. Uh, Urgency. Caleb talks about that all the time. That there's got to be more urgency, and the and that the Rebel offense will pick up on the urgency. Like Justin Rogers is, you know, calm, cool, and collected, but he's got to kind of. There's got to be a little more urgency. But he's going to get his chance, I think, this week. If uh, if Doug Brunfield can't go, Rogers will start. That'd be my guess. And then get a few series, and then he'll have to make a judgment from there. Like if it doesn't change from what they've seen in the first two games, then I don't know what the plan is. Well, the urgency needs to be to take to take chances. Like he's he's been very hesitant to take chances. He's played fine. He's he's just he's making the safe play all the time. Like you can make a lot of safe plays and you know manage a game, but at some point you have to go and and try to take the top off the defense if for no other reason for those safe plays to work better to back up the defense a little bit. So you've got to take chances even if they don't work. Uh, and he just hasn't done that at all. Let's get more on the good and the bad of the uh, Raiders' victory. The good was, hey, they got a victory against one of the AFC powers. The bad is the injuries, and there are some key positions. That first game was a little bit rough for some of the new guys. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. You know, we've had our fair share of battles in my career, too, which is fun for me to have a little bit of part of history, you know, uh, of that rivalry. And uh, you grow up and you watch all the NFL films, videos, and then, you know, it's just it's just crazy, crazy memories um, when you think about these two teams. And I'm just, I'm blessed that I just get to live a life where I get to be a part of that. Hanging at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook, it's Cofield and Company. Let's talk some Raiders. New book out, If These Walls Could Talk. Stories from the Raiders' sideline, locker room, and press box. Paul Gutierrez and Lincoln Kennedy. By the way, I think Derek Carr, like 10 years from now, maybe a book on Team Carr would be kind of fascinating. Maybe, but he'll have blocked every candidate to write the book. He's he's a talker. He's a talker. Paul Gutierrez is with us here on this Wednesday. Paul, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. And uh, in reaction to the what you just proposed? Yeah. (laughs) 
Wow. <laughs> He's, doing his, he's doing his own props. It's good. <laughs> I got my props. I got my props. That is awesome. Uh, no, I'm doing well. Doing good, guys. Just, yeah. uh, you know, it, it was funny. About an hour or so ago, I watched the highlights again of not the entire game, but just the last minute of regulation and all of overtime. And I'm like, wow, I forgot that happened. Ooh, I forgot that happened because you're right on deadline. And I think I wrote four different stories that none of them saw the light of day anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a wild week and I still feel like I'm kind of recovering from it. Yeah, there was, it was like, it took so long to process. And I think people, people, when you, when you say you cover a game, you're like, oh, you watched the game. It was fun. Cool. Then you went home, right? Like, no, like that took hours to even process what the storylines were from that game. Yeah. And, and talking with my editor the next day, he's like, you know, that game was just crazy. It, it was so disjointed. And I said, yeah, so was my gamer. He goes, well, perfect. Because it reflected exactly what the game was. It was just crazy. It was nuts. And, and you know, you're right. I mean, fans and friends think, oh, yeah, well, cool. The game's over. Now you're done, right? Uh, no, now this is the work actually starts. Yeah. Because yeah. you've got to try to make sense of what just happened, uh, trying to get down to a locker room, trying to get interviews in a, in a stage setting, and, and uh, you know, trying to just make sense of the whole thing. So it's, uh, you know, we're not, we're not uh, you know, breaking rocks or working in a salt mine or anything, but it's, it's, uh, it's uh, hard work, and it's fun at the same time. Well, I want to get into uh, your thoughts on what's going on with the Raiders right now, but uh, we can look back on the Raiders' past, which is probably a good time right now with playing the Steelers, one of their old rivals from back in the day. Uh, so a good time to talk about the book, uh, you know, as Steve just said, if these walls could talk stories in the Raiders' sideline, locker room, and press box. Uh, you wrote it with Lincoln Kennedy. He was on with us the other day. Essentially, he said... He doesn't even know what you're doing on the book. He wrote everything, and I, you, I guess you were a part of it. <laughs> no, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, the, the book is obviously written in Lincoln's voice, um, and as you know, if you when you ghost write or or write something for for somebody, you, you know, you you talk to them, you have the conversations, and a lot of it is just transcribing things or just let's talk about this. Let's talk about the 2001 AFC title game against the Ravens. And then you, you fill in the blanks, and then you fact check, and you go back to him and say, okay, actually that happened in the third quarter. Uh, it was third and nine. It wasn't third and six. You know, little things like that. Um, but, but it was a blast because we got to go, you know, the, as the title suggests, if these walls could talk, it, it's, it's not a tell-all. It's not ripping anybody. But it does take the reader, it takes the fan into the huddle during the tuck rule game. It takes the reader onto the sideline during the Super Bowl blowout against the Buccaneers. It takes you into training camp when uh, they, you know, uh, would haze some of the rookies at times and things like that. The stories you don't really get to hear, and, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun to be able to talk to Lincoln and, and, and put it together. And, and uh, you know, as well, my voice is in there, too, talking about my journey being a sports journalist as a kid growing up in Barstow who was a Raider fan as a kid, and, and you put the fandom to the side when you cover the team, but, but at least you have a healthy respect of the history of the team, and you go forward and try to make it make some semblance of sense as well so you know you've you've been following this team as you said from a fan now covering them for as long as you have you've been around the team you've followed them you've you've been up to date on most of the stories that are going on uh, I'm sure readers are going to learn a ton from this but how much did you learn like how much of this did you know and how much did you learn just from talking to, to him for the book well for me it was interesting because you know I I'm my sweet spot is, are the old school guys basically the LA Raiders right because that's when I came of age, the Raiders moved to L.A. and they won. That's the last time they won a Super Bowl. So Howie Long, Marcus Allen, Jim Plunkett, Tom Flores, uh, Todd Christensen, Greg Townsend, Ray Guy, uh, Lester Hayes, Cliff Branch. Those were the guys I grew up with, right? So now with Lincoln, you know, I was technically a, a, a working journalist, but I wasn't covering the Raiders, so I was still kind of a quote-unquote fan. Um, and you know, 
there's two nights, guys, when as a as a quote unquote sports fan, where I lost sleep. One was Greg Anthony's phantom fifth foul against Duke. I had a hard time processing that uh, when UNLV lost in the Final Four. And the other was the tuck rule. Uh, I wasn't covering the team. I was covering USC hoops actually for the LA Times this time, and I couldn't believe they got away with it. So to talk to Lincoln, to go into that huddle, and to see exactly what happened and to break it down, that to me is what surprised me. In particular, in the huddle, it, people forget that earlier in the in, you know minutes before that happened, the tuck rule. Uh, the Raiders were simply trying to run the clock out. They had third and one, and they called their bread-and-butter play, 14 blast, and, and the Patriots stuffed it for no gain. Well, it was because there was a miscommunication on the offensive line. The right guard uh, thought he heard 15 blast. So Lincoln says, oh, 15, oh, it was 14. Okay, we got this, we got this. This is our bread-and-butter. Let's run the play. And they think they're going to go for it on fourth and goal to end, or fourth and one to end the game. Instead, they see Shane Leckler running on the field to punt. And he's like, oh, man, that's, that's one of two times in Lincoln's career he said he wished he had a do-over. He would have tried to talk Gruden into actually going for it. Uh, they didn't. They punted. They never got the ball back. They never saw it again. And the rest is history. And Tom Brady is still playing today. I believe you, we wouldn't know who Tom Brady is <laughs> if the Raiders win that game. Crazy how much that could change history. Uh, no spoilers. You have to read the book. But Lincoln thinks that was an incomplete pass, right? Absolutely. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. He thought it was a fumble. <laughs> I'm kidding. I was kidding. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a fumble. It's a fumble. Still, and, still a yeah. fumble. Uh, and uh, John Gruden would would say the same thing. A lot of people around the Raiders said the same thing. It's a it's a play that, uh, as you as you kind of referenced there, could have changed the entire course of NFL history. Uh, in a lot of different ways. So uh, worth examining that play over and over again and uh, getting to know the details of what went on on the Raiders' sideline in particular. A very, very interesting part of this book uh, to check out. What what was What is your maybe favorite you know, story that you could relate to us that uh, that people will learn from reading this? Uh, yeah, spoiler alert, right? It, it was yeah. uh, doing a Q&A with, um, with Steve Wisniewski. And mm-hmm. he, he, you know, he, he had a reputation of being a dirty player. But Lincoln says he wasn't dirty. He just worked hard. He was just he was, he was a hard worker, basically. <laughs> okay. Uh, and he tells us a story in the Q&A with him in the book about a training camp prank uh, where it basically just involves a lot of vermin <laughs> being <laughs> thrown into uh, uh, one of the guys' rooms when they, they used to do training camp down there in, uh, in Oxnard. And, uh, yeah, it, I, I can't even do it justice trying to tell the story over the phone right now. But basically they just – they bought every mouse, rat you could imagine from a local pet store, uh, stuffed them all into somebody's room, and uh, <laughs> scared them that way. So it was it was Perfect. a pretty interesting story the way he tells it. As I was writing it and transcribing it, I, I literally was laughing out loud telling it. So it's, especially coming from Steve Wisniewski because it actually happened to him, and uh, wow. you know because they were like the pranksters during training camp, throwing water on guys and things like that. But to have it that the thing turned on him. It, it was pretty funny to hear that story. And that is not the time that Lincoln almost got arrested, but you have to read the book for that as well uh, right. to find out, which was just fascinating, crazy no stuff. Ball. Yes. I, don't, I wasn't going to say. I'm just going to let let it sit <laughs> out there. Uh, if these walls could talk, stories from the Raiders, sideline, locker room, and press box. Paul Gutierrez and Lincoln Kennedy, I'm going to say it that way. Uh, since you you're on the show with us today. Uh, check that out. Anywhere you can find books, right? Yeah, anywhere in uh, triumphbooks.com is, is the publisher. So if, if readers wanted to go on there and order it, uh, they definitely get it. Uh, I've seen a lot of Twitter followers and, and uh, family and friends have, have shown me and sent me pictures that, they, that they've gotten it. So it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Yesterday was the official um, 
release date, but it's been out for a couple of weeks now, so it's, it's a lot of fun. There you go. Check that out. And uh, check out Raiders coverage from Paul uh, up on ESPN. Well, we, we mentioned what we were talking about uh, with the last game and how crazy it was and how, uh, how it finished and the processing everything that went on. Uh, but the reality of the NFL is uh, that's that's over, and it's time to focus on playing a road game against Pittsburgh, and they have to do so fairly short-handed. There's injuries all over the place. Uh, what do you see as the most impactful injury that the Raiders have had to deal with so far? Uh, the offensive line, because that was already a question mark in my mind going into the season, and you kind of saw it rear its head early in the game uh, with, with the pressure Derek was feeling, and that's obviously going to affect him and how, in my opinion, uh, he over-relied on, on Darren Waller early in the game. Now, you look at the stats at the end of the game, like, hey, what's not to like? And, you know, even John and Derek said, hey, I'm going to throw the ball every time I can. He's the best player, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but a lot of that might have been uh, a byproduct of feeling uncomfortable in the pocket because it's such a young and untested offensive line. Yeah, they did have their reps against the Rams in a controlled environment in a joint practice, uh, but they didn't have any, like, live preseason snaps together. So... That, to me, is the big question, especially now with Denzel Good, who people forget, both John and Derek said that he was the MVP of the team last year because he was starting at left guard. He was starting at right tackle. He was playing right guard. Now he's the right guard, the starting right guard. So with him going out, now you gotta, you're going to test the depth. And beyond that, you still don't know what's going on with Richie Incognito either. So it's the offensive line to me. Uh, what was your thought on how uh, the guys that were there, Alex Leatherwood, first-round pick at right tackle, and – Andre James uh, now taking over as the starting center permanently, how they played, because I know there was around the building a lot of, hey, they, they showed some good things, they're you know they're a work in progress, but they're getting there, and of course, Pro Football Focus comes out with their grades, and Leatherwood, the worst tackle in the entire league, James, the worst center in the league. Yeah, and that's the thing, is that with offensive linemen, right, you the less you notice them, the better, and yeah. you know, for, for the most part, you didn't really notice them until you did and when you did it was bad it was the you know first and goal from the the one yard line in overtime and leatherwood's false start it was andre james uh botched snap and shotgun to 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 derrick uh you know those were the things that really kind of popped out but you know what they've got it now they've got the one game and derrick did say that today he said look we've got one game on our belts now let's go get some more experience the uh, emergence late in the game of the receivers henry ruggs brian edwards all but vanished for three and a half yeah. quarters, they stepped up. Is that a sign of things to come, or uh, is there still some concern that they were vanishing for three and a half quarters? Yeah, and that's the chicken and the egg thing there. Because did and I wrote the story today. You know, did did the receive did did Derek find his rhythm once he found his receivers, or did the receivers help him find his rhythm because he yeah. finally went to them? Um, and a lot of that was just the way the game dictated it. Right as the game went on, that defensive line of the Ravens is going to get more tired, so that's going to give. Uh, Derek more chances to sit back there and a little more time to get rid of the ball and find his receivers downfield. So those guys came up clutch when they needed them. Um, that's nothing but confidence. That's nothing but good things. And yet you still know that this offense, at least the passing game, revolves entirely around Darren Waller. And that's not a bad thing either. But, um, yeah, I think it, I think it's a good thing. Um, but it's also you, you find that silver lining in a black cloud. And uh, that's, that's definitely a pun. Silver and black, perfect. Uh, I like it. Uh, Darren Waller, you mentioned a couple times, the greatest player John Gruden has ever coached. Thoughts? The first thing I thought of was that's going to create a stir with um, Raider fans who only know him from when he's coached the Raiders. Oh, Jerry Rice, he's the GOAT. He's the GROAT, the greatest receiver of all time. 
You know, the one player that, that John has said on the record before that, that uh, I thought of, first of all, was uh, Sterling Sharp. Okay, he had I'll... said that Sterling Sharp was the greatest player he's ever coached mm-hmm. before, if not the best receiver, and that Sterling Sharp should be in the Hall of Fame. And people forget, you know, John started out in the NFL. He was a receivers coach for the Green Bay Packers, and who was on that team? Sterling Sharp. So for him to say something like that doesn't surprise me for numerous reasons because John likes to, you know, he likes to tell big stories. Um, he engages in a little hyperbole every now and again, but at the same time, I, you know, he believes what he says when he says it. Yeah. Um, and and uh, when you take it into account, everything that Darren has done on the field, along with everything he's overcome off the field by his own doing, it is a pretty impressive resume. So my first thought, because I I, I took it as head coached, like I was like clearly that's what, and you know, and you think of like the later in his career and. Where he's been around, but you think with the Bucks, I was thinking Derek Brooks was my thought. He's an offensive-minded guy, though. Keep that yeah, in mind. That's true. That's true. I just I'd like to think about all the players that he's that he's coached, and <laughs> just all of them thinking like, "What are you talking about, man? That's me." Um, yeah. Big, big game this week against Pittsburgh. What's the key? Uh, keeping Derek Carr clean and continuing that impressive and improved pass rush. Uh, because they weren't doing a lot of fancy things. It was just simply Ngakwe, and, and who's hurt, so we'll see what, what he can do. Yeah. And, and Max Crosby really becoming uh, a, a kind of a spiritual leader of that defense now, you know, with everything that he does and everything that he says and everything that he drives to, you know, and, and wears with the throwback <laughs> white chocolate uh, throwback jersey. Um, the key is, to me, can the offensive line keep uh, Derek Carr upright? And can the defensive line... They're going to have a more stationary and a much bigger target to, to tee off on. Can they get around the Steeler offensive line? Which, as you mentioned today, that was a narrative from Pittsburgh all offseason long. Was it? That's the weakness. Yeah. So we'll see if those guys can take advantage of that. Uh, last thing on the Raiders. Do you have a different thought on the outlook for the season than you did before Monday night's game? Not really, because my, my question coming in was, wouldn't it be something if the Raider offense actually took a step back because of the new offensive line? And the defense actually was decent, a top 16 type defense. Then where do they go? And for the first two and a half, maybe full three quarters of the game, that was my angle, was that the offense just did not look good. It was out of sync. It was rusty. It was clunky. Derek wasn't trusting his guys. And then all of a sudden things clicked. So, and I did believe that they'd go one and one in these first two games. I just wasn't sure which order. And now here we are, and and it's going to be tough for them to, to pull it out in Pittsburgh. But, hey, that's why they play the games. I said last thing on the Raiders, uh, always have to get one UNLV question then from you. Uh, UNLV hoops on the horizon. Outlook for the season, are you uh, are you positive or negative? I am a super positive that they're finally retiring Freddie Banks' number, <laughs> although although they're letting people still wear it, which is fine, whatever. Uh, but Freddie Banks, it's, it's an overdue honor for him. It's awesome. Um, again, to me, UNLV hoops with a re- reimagined roster, it's like the Raiders' offensive line. I don't know if anybody can make a, a legitimate, justified, educated prediction on those guys because you don't know. There's so many new guys, and they're all coming together to play together for the first time. So, to me, the highlight is Freddie Banks getting his number. Maybe Anderson Hunt should be next, and then take a look at Wink Adams and then shut it down. There you go. Great stuff, as always. Uh, Paul Gutierrez, you can check out all of his Raiders coverage. Also, check his tweets about UNLV basketball. You'll see those all throughout the season. <laughs> And pick up the book, If These Walls Could Talk, stories from the Raiders' sideline, locker room, and press box uh, with Paul Gutierrez and Lincoln Kennedy. And a foreword by Tim Brown? Tim Brown. Got Tim Brown involved. Mr. Raider wanted to do it, so we got him. 
There you go. Thanks, as always, sir. We'll see you soon. Good stuff from Paul, as always. And he brought his own sound drops, too. Good for him. Does the uh, my former colleague Michael Gelkins laugh uh, at, a, uh, at a scrum one day. So uh, good to hear that. Impressive. Come back, wrap things up, grab back. The Cofield and Company crew is back tonight at 9 o'clock. It's the Law and Sporter podcast with Justin Watkins from Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Cofield and Company presents. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Back here, wrapping things up, Cofield and Company on this Wednesday from the Rampart. Get on down here. Sportsbook is awesome. The restaurants are popping. The buffet is open. Only one in Summerlin. We just found out. Great, great spot. Even celebrities hanging out here watching games right now. It happens pretty much every time that we're uh, down here at the Rampart. So you should do that as well. Uh, Dylan Coughlin back with the Golden Knights. Two-year deal. Just signed uh, AAV of $762,500 for Dylan Coughlin. A key piece, I think, that they want to have back in terms of their depth and uh, getting set for the season with the rookie camp opening uh, out here in Summerlin uh, yesterday. Dylan Coughlin back in the mix for the Golden Knights. Get back in there. Stick your hand in there, Dave. All right, we talked to Norm McDonald earlier. Uh, pretty much consumed my entire day after I finished the Raiders stuff yesterday. Uh, until Raiders practice today, I pretty much spent like 15 straight hours watching YouTube clips and uh, some craziness. So many great moments. One thing I didn't see is one that Ari pointed out that uh, Blake Griffin uh, was able to post yesterday. And it's interesting, Norm MacDonald, as, you know, he's a comedian and everybody knows uh, all the work that he did in movies and film and SNL and everywhere else. Um, people do remember the ESPYs. But Norm McDonald was a massive sports fan. He was, he was a gambler. Uh, for a time, he was live-tweeting like every PGA Tour event. Super into sports. He loves sports and was kind of intertwined a little bit in the sports world. Uh, and so here's an interaction between Norm and Blake Griffin. Yeah, it's a question from, uh, from Blake's good friend, Norm. No, Blake, uh, it's fun watching you this year. Wasn't it cool? Yeah. Thank you. And uh, I was wondering, like, there's a kind of a curse with Rookie of the Year. Nobody's ever repeated it. Hmm. I didn't think about that. Well, I'll try as hard as I can next year, but... All right, man. I don't know. I don't know. Thank you for that question, though. That's going on top of the goals for next year. Still, nobody has repeated as Rookie of the Year. Good stuff from Norm. It's just, it's so, it's tough listening. I, I think I, I think I did. I, I did tweet this, this out yesterday that usually celebrity deaths kind of are meaningless to me. I just don't. It, uh, not that I don't care, just people are like, "Why are you? Why do you care? You didn't know the person." This one got me. Followed his whole career, loved him. Uh, no more content from Norm is tough, so that sucks. Doesn't suck to be down here at Rampart, though. Get on down here, hang out. 